some of the big things that we sort of hit on today is this idea of figuring out how to maybe bring closer the parts of us that we feel are unlovable or not worthy. And that might just be a mental conversation. It could just be noticing I'm having anxiety right now. I'm feeling depressed. First of all, telling yourself that's not really me. That's a part of me, but my big self is still here. And I know that I'm in that big self parent of mine when I'm feeling compassionate and connected. So anything else is not me reminding yourself that, but then also if you have a part just that is anxious or depressed or that you're bothered by just trying to walk closer to it and almost give it a hug. Doctor said you got PCOS, now go on girl, just lose some weight till I took the hands and reverse them naturally so i became a dietitian and helped my sisters feel the best they've ever felt take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong and take control of yourself join a sister and a Welcome back, Lauren. Thanks so much for coming back on our podcast. Last time you came, it was so fun. We talked all about how PCOS relates to anxiety and depression and what we can do to improve it. And so we really want to use that as a jump off point this time and keep talking about it because it's so prevalent amongst the PCOS community. Welcome back. Oh, thanks for having me back. I'm so happy to be back. It's so important, um, this work. And, you know, as someone with PCOS, I really find that anxiety and depression is something I've definitely been working through and working with. And I think without knowing, um, like if you don't have a diagnosis yet of PCOS and you're struggling with these things, it's really challenging because so much of it is based on the hormonal imbalances that you guys talk so much about. And so if someone's seeing a therapist and they don't even know that they have PCOS and the therapist isn't aware, then they're like missing this whole big component of how they could really be treating this because so much of it is actually based in the physical body, um, especially when it comes to this community. So I think it's so important to just talk more about for that reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. And for those that didn't listen to our part one episode with you, could you give, could you give the listeners your background and, and how you became an expert in this area? Sure. Yeah. So, um, so basically I guess my diagnosis of PCOS probably happened maybe six years ago or so roughly. And at the time it wasn't that severe, but I was also just sort of naturally managing my health pretty well at the time. Um, I've definitely had flare-ups here and there and something I might talk a little bit more about today is a flare-up I had more recently that I feel like I'm finally kind of like sort of on the other side of, because I, I, cause I think it was, it was really interesting for me as also a mental health practitioner to be actively using the things that I do with my own clients on my own Mm -hmm. self during those times and to really see how effective they are. I mean, the best way to really learn how to do these things is to be in it and to relate to people. And that's why I think you're the guy, the content you guys create is so powerful because you have that experience too. And I think one of the big things that comes up is so much shame, I think, with this diagnosis. Yeah. Um, you know, the idea that you have facial hair or you've gained weight, like these are all things our body and our society basically says are taboo and not okay and make us bad. And so I think trying to care for ourselves in a society that sort of says that certain characteristics are not lovable is really the challenge and with half of this stuff, right? So that's something I really want to talk more about today, but I guess I got into mental health counseling by getting my master's in social work um, in 2020 is when I graduated right in the height of the pandemic. And for me, I think that's actually part of how um, 
my uh, my PCOS started to flare up through COVID and being a mental health practitioner um, as as a new job during like the height of a global mental health crisis. So yeah. that was definitely related to the flare up. Um, but yeah, I mean, that I sort of went into mental health counseling from there. I worked at a few outpatient mental health facilities. And right now I specifically am working with grief counseling, but I also see private clients on the side. And um, yeah, that's kind of my story. Amazing. I have a background Amazing. also as a yoga instructor. I probably should have mentioned that yoga instructor. Um, I'm also a Reiki master teacher and I do a lot of art therapy with my clients too. I love to bring the arts into it. Yeah. And it all, it all comes together with the yoga, with the art therapy. And with all of that, I think it really encompasses finding a way to heal, you know, mental health issues like depression, anxiety. And like speaking of which, when we look at the PCOS community, it's pretty uh, crazy that 40 to 50% of PCOS women are actually experiencing anxiety and symptoms of depression. And of course, this can be attributed to the mental side of things, but also the physical side of things where there's like hormonal imbalances, like, for example, high levels of androgens, which can cause anxiety and depression. So it's really all encompassing with PCOS as both mental and physical that leads to these anxiety and depression symptoms. Yeah, there's actually research done on this that shows 27 to 49% of people with PCOS experience depression compared with around 19% of people without PCOS. Wow. So that hormonal component has so much to do with it. And like you said, if you don't know that you have PCOS and you're struggling with anxiety and depression, you know, it's a huge component once you figure out that you do, because once you reduce your androgens, improve your blood sugar, get your cortisol in check, you could be feeling so much better in ways that like would have taken you years to get to that point. So I think your work is wonderful. Thanks. Same. <laughs> Last time we did a podcast, we talked about the vagus nerve and we talked about mm -hmm. how that affects our um, gastroenteral yes. like health, gut health, gut health. <laughs> I want to say like this big word, but gut health basically. <laughs> and um, I remember CDAC, we thought had gastritis. Mm -hmm. Remember? Yes. Turns out it was a parasite. Yeah, I had a parasite. Isn't oh crazy? my gosh, which, which is actually better. Honestly, in my, in my opinion, <laughs> I'd rather just have the parasite and take the medication and heal it because gastritis is a bit more complicated. Yeah. It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of work uh, to basically heal that. But yeah, that's a, my gut update. Yeah. Just so wow. you know. And I literally say in that podcast episode, it's not a parasite. Okay. He has I gastritis. I literally say that in the episode, it's a parasite. That's gone now. <laughs> but it was a great discussion about the vagus nerve and I'm glad we touched on it. Yeah. Nevertheless. <laughs> like make sure you don't have a parasite, but the vagus nerve can help too. <laughs> yeah. So for people who are experiencing anxiety and depression, of course, there's a lot of different, you know, routes to take. There's medication, there's but then there's also the holistic natural approaches with of course focusing on therapy, like um talking therapy. Uh, meditation what would be your kind of like a like protocol for lack of better terms in terms of like where to get started with to really start improving that mental health aspect for anxiety and depression yeah I mean I think definitely an approach that's well-rounded is a good one um, and I'm hopeful that people listening to this content definitely want to better themselves I think so yeah for sure I think you know, starting with trying to see a therapist, just even to just chat and kind of get an idea with them, like an assessment, just to kind of see where they're at would be useful. Because from there, they can kind of decide where, 
where is their mental health in terms of like if a medication would be beneficial, um, if they think they should just start with talk therapy. But then for sure, especially for women who have PCOS, definitely beginning to take some of the protocols seriously that um, you guys recommend, I think is really important because it is so intrinsically connected. Like, and I think if I was to use what I sort of referenced before as an example, as somebody who is actually a mental health professional, um, had been going to therapy, I had been going for like 10 years as also on an antidepressant, my anxiety and depression flared up really wild, just based on my hormonal and the, the hormones with PCOS, like the imbalance I went through due to all the stress I was under. Um, yeah. So even with like everything else I had in place, hormones are enough to just completely throw you off. Was this the recent situation you were explaining earlier? Like you yes. said recently you had a, a, a problem with your own situation. Could you, do you want to elaborate on that if you feel comfortable? Sure. I mean, I think it would be useful because when I was thinking about this episode, I was thinking about how there's certain things that I did at that time to kind of crawl out of that hole that I think would be useful to share. Because I think that there are sometimes obstacles to to wanting to get better. And I think some of those are related to, again, society to an extent too. Um, And so that's why I think it would be a kind of a nice place to go. So I would say that essentially there was a few things that I think caused it to flare up. I mean, one, I I was working from home in a pandemic. So that was a lot. I had also just moved. I just got a puppy. I mean, it was just, there was a whole lot. Um, We talked about puppies last time. Hopefully that's still something you guys are considering. Oh, 100%. Um, (laughs) Yeah, 100%. We need a dog. (laughs) Once we get a house, that's the first thing. That's the first thing. I love it. Um, So, you know, there was just a few things. Um, And of course, I I went immediately into a really high caseload as well um, of like 35 people a week, which in our field is really a lot. So there was just a whole lot going on. But I was also trying to explore my relationship with my body because I had been somebody who used to do a lot of calorie restricting diets. And I found that I was constantly yo-yoing all the time because it was unsustainable and I'd end up into binge eating and all this stuff. Um, So I had read this book called Intuitive Eating. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she's wonderful. Um, Not that I know her personally, but her work is amazing and I pretend I know her. So um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) So basically, I was trying to do this approach of just sort of allowing myself to eat anything. But I included gluten and dairy in that because it's so hard. And this is something I've personally been working on a lot. I think I'm in a place where I sort of get it now. But it's so hard when maybe there are foods that are inflammatory that you really shouldn't be eating when and to allow that restriction quote unquote, restriction to be present while trying to heal from disordered eating. Because part of that healing with intuitive eating is allow yourself to eat. Like you have permission, like you don't have to feel like you're going to withhold food or you're going to starve yourself in the future. It's okay. And at the same time, having any kind of restriction felt like triggering for that eating disorder, like mentality, not that I have a full-fledged eating disorder, but for sure for my disordered eating voice, thinking I couldn't have something felt like a hindrance to my process. And I never had an official, like somebody tell me, I really, really don't do have a sensitivity to either one of those things. And I always just kind of never had them. So I just decided to allow myself to, but also at the height of me having all of this stress. And so it was just, and also because I was in this mode of intuitive eating where they talk about just letting yourself have everything. And then eventually you won't feel like you need to have everything um, because you'll know that it's all okay. Um, so that included sugar because that was always something that I really watched as well. And I definitely have the insulin sensitivity type of PCOS. So 
the composite combination was terrible. I gained yeah. so much weight. Um, yeah. and it was really um painful for me because that's everybody's worst fear, I think, when they're going from calorie restriction is like, am I gonna just blow up? And I essentially did. I I was just it was a really challenging time. And I think for me, the the biggest challenge was just the shame of it, of feeling like I couldn't wear my clothes and feeling just really like bad about myself. And I think one of the empowering things, hopefully people take away from this podcast is just knowing like, and from the work you guys do, because I think it was helpful for me at that time was like, it's not our fault. Someone else could have done that and nothing would have happened. (laughs) Like they probably would have been fine. Um, Yeah. But I would have gained like five pounds, you know, Right. (laughs) for us, it's like 20 in one month. Boom. Right. I mean, like anyone else, this would have been probably not this. Right. But like, yeah. And I think that when we're prone to a mental illness, we're more likely to internalize something and say, that was my fault because I'm not good enough. Right. So like for me, I really had to remind myself, like, first of all, it's okay to be in any body, but I wasn't feeling good in my body. And it was clear that my hormones were super, super off and my mental health was obviously very off too. But even, even if I was trying to be in a different body because it felt better or a body where I felt more cared for, it's hard to feel like I should do that if I'm also in the middle of blaming myself and saying that I'm no good or it's my fault, right? Mm-hmm. So like, that's the kind of thing that I wonder if your listeners are coming across too, because- oh, yeah. Right. I would think yeah. so. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of self-blame in the PCOS right. world just because they the awareness is not there. The education's not there, like from the, from doctors, like not all doctors. And it's just, I feel like it creates that feeling that, oh, this is my fault. Like the doctor is making it seem like this is my fault because I didn't eat well, or I didn't exercise enough or, you know, the list goes on. Yeah. From a dietitian's point of view, eating disorders are a whole different like beast. You know what I mean? Working one-on-one with someone is so important in these types of scenarios, but I'm glad you found the book Intuitive Eating, but I do suggest like anyone who's listening, finding a dietitian Mm -hmm. who you trust, who has experience with eating disorders and helping with that. And doing one-on-one with them, right? One-on-one with them. I mean, I guess there's group coaching too, that could be supportive as well, can be so beneficial and it's so important. And I can understand like the frustration of gaining so much weight when you're trying to intuitive eat because you have PCOS and certain things just drive that like weight gain, you know, and then somebody else wouldn't have experienced that. So it it kind of like throws off what you were supposed to learn from the intuitive eating experience, which was to be comfortable around food and understand that it's not going to harm you. It's okay. You can eat and let down your guard. And then PCOS swoops in and it's like, wait, it's, I don't feel good. This is not okay. You know? And then (laughs) what are we doing? You know what I mean? And then you go back to your old habits and it's just like very, very challenging. And I think that going gluten and dairy free for someone who has an eating disorder as well can be very challenging. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's something we don't push on people. We always just say, try it, see how you feel, see if it's right for you. But, you know, with Instagram, like you, I can't specify who's yeah. watching us. Yeah. So we're just going to do what we do. And then you have to decide if it's right for you or not, you know. Yeah. But even like, you know, in, in the sisterhood in the Facebook group, if somebody does talk about their past history of ED, we mm-hmm. always talk about, you know, this may not be right for you. You should definitely speak yeah. with a dietitian one-on-one. Like Talon mm-hmm. used to do one-on-one diet, dietitian service. And uh, I know you had previous um, patients who had ED, but it's different when you do one-on-one versus a group setting because you can't 
explain everything specifically mm-hmm. to that to that person's right. condition. So, and I think it's even more important to go to someone who has specialized in eating disorders. Because yeah. if if a patient came to me who had an eating disorder, I would refer them because yeah. that's a whole specialty and it's a delicate subject and it requires a lot of what's the word like the dietitian has to have like the experience and the proper like tools to help with this so that what happened to you like doesn't happen you know where, right. where you're like oh this doesn't feel good and i want to intuitive eat or the other way around if you went gluten and dairy free and became more restrictive you don't want that to happen either so there's a delicate mm-hmm. balance and you can totally get there with the right support team. And I love that you're sharing your story because there are a lot of people who have PCOS who are listening, who are thinking about gluten and dairy free. And this is like a really important message that we need to get out there. Yeah. I mean, ultimately I somehow was able to figure out how to do that without being restrictive. And that is kind of where I'm at now. I would say probably things hit a peak almost this time last year for me. And this year has really been about deeply caring and kind of nourishing and coming back to balance. But at the time, it definitely was challenging. And I think ultimately, I know for sure that gluten and dairy bother me for sure. And I've been able to kind of turn it around when I feel, if I did feel like it was restrictive, which at this point, I don't feel that way about. But if, when I did feel that way, to talking to that part of myself um, who is afraid that I'm going to start restricting and to just let her know that it's okay. Like I'm actually not really, it's not really like I'm restricting this food. It's like, I just know if I really think about future me, like future me won't feel great. And so like making this choice is actually like a really nourishing choice to Mm -hmm. honor myself versus punishing myself for the body I'm in or saying that I'm just not allowed for whatever aesthetic reason And so I think that's what helps me. It's more or less like become an act of self-care to think that those foods are ones that I don't choose. So, yeah. Yeah, I love what you said, where you said, this is nourishing my body versus restricting my body because that's the exact way we look at it. Like, for example, let's say you're you're a person who's sensitive to dairy and every time you eat dairy, you get acne or you you get bloating or, Mm -hmm. you know, the other symptoms that we talk about. But when you don't eat dairy, you feel better. You don't feel the blow. You feel like your acne is not coming back. That's where like we talk about nourishment. It's like, oh, like when I don't have dairy, my body is more nourished. It's operating better. So yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it. How did you pivot into this direction? Like how did you go from struggling with intuitive eating to finding balance finally? I think part of it was through kind of what I, what I mentioned of like uh, something. So another type of therapeutic style that I sort of stumbled into, I'm always like taking continuing education courses and learning more um, is internal family systems therapy, which Mm -hmm. I love. There's a great book called no bad parts, which is really wonderful. Um, If I had to like briefly sum it up in like four seconds, it would be that it's the idea that we have an internal family inside. So almost like if you're meditating, the person that's observing your experience, they would say is like the self, the like big S self, um, which is almost like the parent of this internal system inside. And then all of the anxious parts of you, all the fearful parts of you, the shameful parts of you, the parts of you that are happy, like every other thing that you have going on that isn't like 
the part of you that's watching with kindness and compassion and wants to care for you. Those are all like these little kids kind of like running around causing mayhem. And the idea that these parts get burdened with trauma, typically before age 10, and they take on all these different roles to try to keep us safe. Because when we're younger, we don't have the tools to be a parent for ourselves. So they sort of take things into their own hands and it can get kind of tricky. Um, (laughs) So the idea with that system then is learning how to really embody and be more in touch with that parent part of you, Mm -hmm. um, the part that's observing and is compassionate and kind and knowing that that's actually who you are. So anytime that you're anxious, that you're depressed, that you're in shame, that you're in whatever, it's knowing that's a part of me because my true essence is the part of me that's kind, that's connected, that's compassionate, that's confident. So if I'm feeling something else right now, that's a part of me. And it's not a bad part, right? Going back to the really well-named title of the book, it's not a bad part of you. Um, It's just simply a part of you that probably needs something. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to push it away, I'm reinforcing these patterns Um, that ultimately lead to me harming myself and being less in touch with that parent part of me. So the idea is that the more you're in touch with that big self, the less these other parts have to do all these random weird behaviors, like being anxious or depressed or whatever it is to get our needs met because they can trust that you're going to do the job because they've gotten Mm -hmm. to know you and you've been more present and connected with yourself. And they've seen you time and time again, um, showing up for yourself in a way that's healthy and healing. So for me, when I think about that time and with the intuitive eating, I think part of it for me was trying to connect more with that big self version so that if a part was coming up afraid about me making this choice of gluten and dairy free, I would just really try and not run from that part or not avoid it or push it down, but meet with her inside and just sort of say, Hey, like, I know you're really scared because in the past, I haven't always looked out for you. I haven't always made good choices and I'm sorry. I see you. I see that you're hurting and I know that you coming up right now, this anxiety is actually you really just trying to protect me in the best way that you know how, but I assure you that I'm not doing that today. That's not actually my intention. My intention is to try to care for me. Um, So this choice isn't coming from one of not feeling like I'm enough. It's actually coming from a place of wanting what's best for me. So I see you and I hear you and you can still be there, but I got this. And it's just a constant doing that. It's like basically making that internal dialogue full of self-love and kind of changing it from a negative, uh, like always talking in negatives versus talking more in positives, talking about, you know, exactly how you're explaining, like being more positive about yourself and how you're doing these things to help yourself be better versus, you know, I'm trying to restrict myself so I can lose weight and do this and do that versus I'm doing this to actually feel better and improve my health and have a better life kind of a thing. That internal system, it's it's really interesting because I also feel like I feel like we're all a product of our childhood or our external factors. This is going to maybe sound like a little bit off topic, but for the young kids who haven't listened to Pink Floyd, it, it will change your life. Okay, there's this one album. It's called The Wall. It's a two two disc album and it's it's a very artistic album. The album is called The Wall because the wall represents what we all build throughout our childhood. So through the experiences of maybe your parents, people who are mean to you as you were growing up, like bullies or friends or negative experiences you've had over the course of your life, 
you slowly build this wall, like brick mm -hmm. by brick by brick, based on all these experiences. And what this wall represents is you basically shunning yourself from society and you blocking yourself from happiness and from really enjoying life. And I feel like we all do this to a certain extent. Like we create this wall because of the experiences that we've had. And it's not our fault. It's because we've just been through certain situations and our brains really get accustomed to having anxiety in those similar situations again, or they get, or we get accustomed to having depression when certain things happen because that's what happened in the past. And that's how your body knows to kind of react to these things. So it's like, we have to break through this wall, not easy to do, but we have to break through this wall so we can accept people better. We can accept new people into our lives, ha have better friends, because all that all the wall does is it, it blocks you away from the people you love the most, the people who mattered the most to you. Because as long as you keep that wall up, you're always going to be kind of in that, not always, but you know, you're going to be in a negative state. You're going to hurt people around you because you you react in a certain way. So yeah, I was just listening to the album yesterday because I had a bad day and I was just like, wow, it's I need to think about this more often than than normal, you know. So just wanted to kind of talk about that for a second. I bought I you a sweater that has like pink and then it says the wall yeah i love it I, I have we were dating i bought it like, i have so many pink floyd so tattoos cute. like they changed my life just so um just so everyone knows <laughs> <laughs> i love that so much well i think what you said about the wall is interesting because because you said it you know the wall is like what you've built to protect you right but yeah you've been closed and like that's really what it is when we think about anxiety and depression. I think a lot of people can obviously be, for good reason, angry or mad or annoyed or frustrated that they have these things. And yet these things are actually created by us unconsciously to protect us, right? Yeah. Like that part of me that's afraid that I'm maybe choosing not to eat something is like really trying to help me out. You know, it's like, hey, are you doing that like annoying thing again where you're like not eating stuff? And it's like, no, like it's cool now. We're good. But like that part of me isn't bad. Like it's actually trying to help me, right? So yeah. like, you know what you're saying with the wall, I think is interesting because it is just sort of like this stuff that we build up over time that at some point was useful. Like at some mm -hmm. point helped us to live and thrive, but now is sort of like this weird training wheel. It's like, why do you still have a tricycle? Like you can ride the bike, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like you say, it's a, it's a defense mechanism. It's what our bodies got used to it's, or a coping mechanism. You can say too, you know, it's what another interesting point is like generational trauma. Like we, like our parents, Mm -hmm. like came from or our parents and maybe their parents came from like times where of like world war ii and yeah. like our parents experienced the gen or not our parents but our great grandparents our great grandparents experienced a genocide and that was like not even great our grandparents experienced a genocide and that was passed down to their parents and yeah. then that's passed down to us like there's a lot of like generational trauma too that i feel really deep down consciously like affects us is that something like you've learned in your in your studies where like, do they talk about that? Like the generational trauma that can be passed down just from experiences, mm -hmm. but also like parents as a result of that trauma, they change how they are with their kids yeah. and kind of pass that down to their kids as well. It's like that survival mode mentality is the theme of everyone's life, generation after generation, until someone finally is like, okay, guys, we're fine. <laughs> We're, gonna, yeah. we're in America. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, in mental health, I haven't heard it as much. It's definitely something I've studied on my own, but I would say that there's echoes of that, even though they're not being 
maybe explicit. I think that's definitely something that's going to be talked about a lot more in the future. But, you know, we're always asking about what's the mental health history, right? Like we're always asking, did your parents have these things? Like, did your great grandparents have these things? And I think for sure, we know that the modeling that we see from our parents impacts us. So without explicitly saying generational trauma or whatever, they're, they're already looking for that in any kind of intake or assessment you're going to do with somebody. So um, I wish it it was something we talked about even more, but for sure. I mean, I think, I think a way to start thinking about that is really just thinking what were the problems or experiences like my mother had and what kind of things did her mother have? Right. Mm -hmm. Or, or thinking similarly along the paternal line or whatever it is, like we can start to see probably a real strong connection there. And I think that's another way to reduce shame too, is just knowing that it's not just us going through the world, like we're impacted by so many things in our world. So we really have to look at a whole system, not just us when we're blaming ourselves. We have to Mm -hmm. remember all of these other things circulating around us that brought us to the here and now. 100%. Like if there was a lot of cortisol dysregulation in your mother and then in your mother's mother, you know, from trauma, from whatever's happened, whatever was happening in the world that can be passed down in a way, insulin resistance can be passed down, you know, like diabetes. Well, they say there was like a study done where they looked at pregnant women and I I forget the specifics, but I'm just going to kind of generalize this just so it's easy to explain. But they looked at pregnant women and the, the whoever had like really high amounts of stress during pregnancy, especially towards the third trimester, they found that affected the baby's like hormone levels. I'm forgetting the specifics, but they found that that had an effect on the baby and the baby's like first couple of years. So like, of course, yeah, I 100% believe that. And then that's the concoction for PCOS. I mean, if your genes Mm -hmm. are like prone to PCOS and now you have cortisol dysregulation, insulin resistance, thanks to like generational trauma being passed down, we have all the ingredients and we're good to go. He's ready, set, us. go. Ready, set, go. Throw in some BPA. Right. <laughs> That's it. Right. That's all the other environmental things. And yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's crazy. But you know, that does, I'm not trying to like at that situation. No, no, no. We can no. do a lot to break these yes. habits. Yeah. I yes. mean, habits or like norms that get passed down. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think, you know, the one thing I I wanted to for sure touch on, because I think I just think it could be so beneficial for someone like if they're in the position where they're in the middle of a flare up and they're feeling really shameful, because I know for sure that's where I was. And I think for me showing up for myself in the ways that we know is helpful for PCOS, like mindfulness, doing yoga, like even just working out, like being like conscious about your food. I mean, all those things involve being present with yourself, right? And if you are in a body in that moment that society says is not acceptable, it's really hard to want to be present with your body. Like for me, and those at those times to show up on my mat, feeling like my belly super distended and bloated and just not feeling the same as I did. It's so hard to want to be there. And so I think that's why typically things like depression continue to manifest in people when they're in that state, because breaking the cycle involves accepting ourselves where we are and being willing to show up and care for ourselves when we're in a state that maybe other people would deem unlovable. And so I think there's this whole added layer to it because of our conditioning and our culture where there is fat phobia. There are all these things out there that are saying 
we're not enough when we're in that space. And so to show up for ourselves by being present and doing those things involves just accepting that that's where we are. This place that people say is unacceptable, we're there. And yet that's really the only way to move forward is simply showing up for ourselves and figuring out how to continue doing that regardless of what you're necessarily seeing happening immediately on the outside. A whole other thing that I don't necessarily go into today because it's a whole other topic, but is actually I transitioned from being vegan and vegetarian for like 12 years to eating meat again this year. And that's actually a huge part of how I feel so much better with my insulin resistance, actually, which is hard to say because I mean, obviously I was vegetarian vegan for 12 years and I'm not telling anyone out there who is to change their life or anything, but for sure. But um, for me, it's the first time in so long where I'm actually not immediately craving some to eat something else after I eat or still hungry all the time um, where I actually don't have sugar cravings anymore. Like I was actually able to successfully kind of do what you guys say and actually get relief. So if you keep showing up for yourself, it'll work. I'm yeah, so happy for you. Exactly. How was that transition though? I'm curious because I know being a vegetarian, vegan for 12 years, there's a lot of positive beneficial reasons to do it. How was it for you when you decided to add meat again? to your diet? Was it like really difficult at first to eat that yeah, first so steak? Hard. It was so hard. It really was. I went to like all these local farms to try to get like the most humanely raised like animal possible. Um, and like, <laughs> would sit there. my fiance just laugh at me <laughs> so, like, <laughs> sitting there with these, with this chicken. And I'm like, honey, we have to acknowledge the fact that this is like this thing gave its life for us. You know, this is yeah. like a dead animal. <laughs> it's like, okay. And I'm like, this is like a carcass. We have to really honor it. <laughs> like, sure. <laughs> and so I'm like, it was really hard. I cried a lot, actually. Um, but I tried my best um, to just, I still try my best to pick humane sources of meat. Um, Cause that yeah. for me was like the bigger thing. So it was hard, but I, and I would, I would say I only just started in November. So um but now it's like much smoother. I thought I was going to have a lot of digestive issues and mm-hmm. I did initially, it was definitely hard on my stomach at first, but not as bad as I thought. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, be- uh, like, of course, there's so many benefits of going vegan vegetarian, but of course there's the whole world of like animal cruelty and how there's so much, like we take it for granted. Like we just go to a grocery store and we buy 20 pounds of meat. Yeah. We don't even think about where it came from how that animal was raised, the condition of that animal, like, was it happy? Was it sad? You know, they say all happy cows come from California, but I guarantee you they're not all happy. But you know what? You're happy. And so is your insulin sensitivity. And I think that's more. Yeah. And I I was just going to get to that point. I mean, maybe you can touch on it too. Like with all the benefits that come from like the vegan vegetarian, there's still a lot of areas where like there's nutrient deficiencies that can happen. There's the BCAAs that are missing. Well, you know, some people's bodies react and respond to vegan vegetarian very well, and they don't have this issue where their insulin resistance flares up and it's just great for them. And that's fine. And then some people, a lot of people, it's just, there's not enough protein, your blood sugars everywhere. You're eating too many carbs. You can't help it. Things are too processed. Lots of seed oils, which is awful for our PCOS and prostaglandins and cramps when we get periods. I mean, there's just so many reasons why eating meat can be very helpful for some people. So I think there's like no room to judge. You have to try it. You have to see what's right for you. And don't stick to things that aren't serving you. That's my best piece of advice because Mm -hmm. 
we really want an answer when we have PCOS. And when someone says something, we act like that is the, that is the gold standard. This person knows what they're talking about and let's do it. Yeah. And then we close our eyes and we go to kickboxing class every day for a year, like I did. And we don't lose any weight. And we're like, well, it's my fault. I'm not trying hard enough. I'm going right. to do back-to-back classes now. No, if it's not working, your body's different and it's not working for you. You have to change it. You have to, if vegan wasn't working for you, now we change it. How's meat working for you? Is red meat okay? Is white meat okay? Is fish okay? Try, try, try and figure out the formula for yourself. And I cannot stress this enough. And the same thing for gluten and dairy free. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And before we go, we just want to give some like, um, maybe like some, to do's for people who are listening, who want to improve their mental health and depression. None of this is like, of course, no pressure on anybody, but I think based on what we were talking about, I think one area, if you're feeling depression, anxiety, definitely see if a therapist will be right for you. I really believe in therapy. Like I, I do therapy every week, telling this therapy every week, sorry, time to put you on the spot. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, like we do it, we do it once a week, each, each of us. And I think it's really important for getting to talk about your feelings, getting to talk about your life, the experiences you're going through. And of course, like therapy can be expensive sometimes, but of course there are even other routes. Like if you're, if you're going to college, they usually have free therapy available for college students, or at least like prorated. So it's a lot cheaper. And if you have certain kinds of insurance, if you have like Medicare and things like that, usually they'll really make the uh, therapy a lot cheaper as well. So I really want to encourage everyone to kind of look into it and don't think that it'll be expensive right away because there's a lot of services out there that provide it for a lot cheaper than, you know, others. And it's really important for your quality of life too, because, you know, I could just not go to therapy and it's fine. Nothing bad is going to happen. But if I go, everything will be so much better. All of my thoughts will be cleared things off my mind. I'll be able to express myself better. Like these are really important factors to improving your quality of life and day to day and relationships and everything. And I mean, you could not do it or you could do it. (laughs) Right. Right. It is. And I think that is a great first step for people for sure. It would be to really look into that because it really does help with all of these things um, and is a really, I think, important piece to add to doing the things on the nutritional and holistic level um, is to add that in. But I would say like if I was to give someone a takeaway, some of the big things that we sort of hit on today is this idea of figuring out how to maybe bring closer the parts of us that we feel are unlovable or not worthy. And that might just be a mental conversation. It could just be noticing I'm having anxiety right now. I'm feeling depressed. First of all, telling yourself that's not really me. That's a part of me, but my big self is still here. And I know that I'm in, in that big self parent of mine when I'm feeling compassionate and connected. So anything else is not me reminding yourself that, but then also if you have a part just that is anxious or depressed or that you're bothered by just trying to walk closer to it and almost give it a hug. Right. Cause whenever yeah. we say our anxiety, depression is bad, or we just push it aside, it's like we're slamming the door in our own face. You know, we would never do that to a friend if they came worried and anxious for us. Like, I'm so scared you're going to make a bad choice. We'd never be like F you and like shut the door. Like we would be like, <laughs> oh my gosh, like, I appreciate you caring for me. Maybe that's not what I'm going to do, but Thanks. You know, like that's what we want to do to these parts of us that we're afraid of. So yeah, I would encourage people to do that because I think it'll help them move past the shame to actually start making the choices that they need to, to help themselves. 
I love that tip because we actually humans have a tendency to care more about others or like do do more for others than for themselves. Even like dogs, like you'll do so much Mm -hmm. for your dog and you won't even do that same amount of attention or spend the same amount of money on yourself. So yeah, I love that tip. Like talk to yourself as if you're talking to your friend, as if you're talking to your best friend and you're trying to help them look at yourself as you're your best friend, you know? So I think that's, I love that tip. Yeah, I think that's good. Before we go, is there anything we can promote for you, like a website or your social media channel? Any, anything you like to promote on here? I, at the time, I don't really have an online presence still. I'm still That's working okay. on it. <laughs> That's okay. I like, no, but I'm there. <laughs> um, but right now, I'm still just sort of like flying under the radar, just doing grief counseling. <laughs> awesome no that's okay that's okay I just wanted to ask just in case you want to share share anything but thank you for sharing your insight yeah and your knowledge and your experience and we'd love to have you on again we always like to discuss mental health with you yeah so thanks again I would love to thank you for sharing your personal experience as well I'm sure a lot of listeners were able to relate to that and it's going to help them you know with their own situations yeah I hope so I really hope so great thank Thank you for being on the episode and can't wait till next time yeah me too thank you If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.